All right, let's look for just a few minutes tonight in Genesis chapter number 12. Genesis chapter number 12. Uh, I want you to turn there with me, please, uh, and look with me. And the reason why that, um, that this is so important, you'll see it here in this passage. Uh, what I've just, the principle that I just talked about shows up in this passage. It's amazing how when you study the Word of God and you preach through it, uh, verse by verse or chapter by chapter, it's amazing how the timing of the Lord works these things out for our life. It's almost like He's in charge of people who pray, you know, and seek the mind of God. And so in Genesis chapter 12, this is one of the most important chapters that you'll find in your Bible when it comes to understanding history and understanding what's going on politically and what is going on, you know, as far as God's relationship with Israel and with the Gentiles and with the church of God today. When you get to Genesis chapter 12, you have Abram being called by the Lord. I think if you read through the first few verses, you'll find what I call his leap of faith. And then you'll notice further on in the chapter his development of his faith. At the end of the chapter, you will find his lapse of faith. Does that sound like us? Our leap of faith to begin, we're all excited. And then he stretches us. We go through a famine. And if we're not careful in the famine, there'll be a lapse of our faith. So let's look at this passage, okay? This leap of faith, uh, this, this passage here, you know, you got to think about this. I, I like to call this chapter, Focus on a Family. Focus on a family. Why? Because of all the people on the planet, Brother Travis, God looked down from heaven and says, I'm going to call that man right there. And according to Romans chapter number 4, it was all by grace. And it was all by faith. So, as we look at this, you'll see that. And let me give you some statistics here. Uh, Brother Johnny, I know you like statistics. I'm going to give you some facts on this, all right? You know, uh, the, the here's one man. God's zeroed this thing down to one man, giving him what we call the dispensation of promise. God is making a promise, a covenant that takes up the rest of the book of Genesis and on into Exodus and on into Leviticus and on into Deuteronomy and on and on it goes until it gets really to the time of Christ. But but this particular promise though and covenant changes when God gives the, the covenant or should I say the law of Moses. Things begin to change or he adds to some of these promises. But the first 11 chapters in the book of Genesis, you can read through that pretty quick, but you're covering almost 2,000, 1,600 to 2,000 years of history of mankind in 11 chapters. The next 39 chapters are about a family, Abram and his family. The dispensation of promise lasts until the Mosaic law that's given through Moses. And you know how long that is? That's 400 years. How old is the United States? 245 years. And so God gives this promise to Abraham and said, this is what's going to happen. This is going to happen. He said, I will, I will, I will. These are the promises of God. And for 400 years, God stretched it out and God kept his word. And so you'll find here in this passage the beginning of that. Can God keep a promise? 
Can God break a promise? God cannot lie. Look at this now. Chapter 12, verse 1. Let's read it real quick. The Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land I will show thee. Look at the I wills. This is God's sovereignty. I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. There is the call of God and uh, the promise of God. But Abram has to make a choice. Verse number 4. So Abram, you'll see that word departed. You'll find in the book of Hebrews it says, He obeyed and went out, not knowing whither he went. All right, but he departed. That is a choice of faith. And you'll notice in verse 5 it says, And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son. And verse 6 it says, And Abram passed through the land. All of these are faith and action of him responding to the call of God. And whenever God speaks to your heart and you respond in faith and say, Yes, Lord, there is going to be some action going on in your life. You're going to be leaving some things and you're going to be headed towards some things as you follow the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. I want you to notice... The development of his faith. I find this in verse 6, 7, and 8. Because I find that Abram changes locations but not challenges. You'll notice it says, verse 5, the end of the verse, it says he went into the land of Canaan. Now that word Canaan is critical to us. Do you understand? Because later on down the road, you're going to find God is going to wipe that that, that uh, group of people that have taken homestead on this property. God's fixing to wipe them out. But there's a reason why He's going to do this. Soft-hearted liberals get angry at God and say He can't be just. He can't be right. He can't be a God of love. But the Lord always has a reason. And listen to this. The curse from God. A curse from God, any curse from God does not come without a cause. God always has a cause in what He does. Look at verse 6. And Abram passed through the land of the place of Sycam, whatever you want to call it. I'll call it Sycam. Under the plain of Mori. And the Canaanite was then in the land. When you see that term Canaanite, It is an umbrella word for a whole bunch of ites. Like termite, Jebusite, Amorite. I mean, if it's got ite on it, it's probably not going to be good. Okay? And it says, and it says, and the Canaanite was then in the land. Remember that God used Noah to curse Canaan. Do you remember that? The son of Ham. Because there was something fishy going on there that took place with Ham and his dad. And Canaan was his fourth, was Ham's fourth boy. And there was something in that family that was, I'm going to say, uh, I don't know how to use this term, but let me just say they were, there was something about them that was immoral. They were sexually perverted. Okay? And this follows the path and pattern of the descendants of these people. 
All right? And so the scripture says here, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And you have to understand something. There comes a time morality matters to God when it comes to a land or a group of people or a city. Okay, and so in verse 7 it says, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there built he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So let's talk about the development of his faith because that term Canaanite, he, God has taken him out of the land of idolatry that he might focus on the true God. And now he is going to be walking in the land of where that they have some serious issues with morality. If you're going to walk with God, you've got to turn away from all other gods to follow him. You have to do that. He will not share. He will not. And He has got to be your only God. If you want Him to be with you, for you, use you, bless you, touch you, protect you, guide you, provide for you, He has to be your God. He's not one of your A-gods in your life. He has got to be the God in your life. And so Abraham made that choice. But now he is walking among the immoral. And I promise you, if you live for God, you probably are going to bump into a lot of people around you who do not take their sexual immorality seriously. They say that it's just normal. Everybody does it. Well, let me show you something here about what the Lord thinks about the Canaanite. Okay, what he's going to do. Can I share some, something with you? Look at me in Leviticus 18 real quick. I'm uncomfortable reading this in a mixed congregation. But you know, these kids, man, they see and hear so much nowadays. I need to show them what the Bible says about some of this stuff. Um, and it's just plain, plain black and white. Now listen, this right in here, this area right here, is where that the liberals and the Democrats are going to pass laws that are going to keep preachers like myself from just simply reading the Word of God and they will consider it to be hate speech and intolerant in our religion. And even some of your families and friends say, oh yeah, you go to that church down there, that blah, blah, blah. Now listen, you either believe the Word of God or you don't believe the Word of God. Okay? Now, so Leviticus 18, what it does is it shows you, and history has shown over and over where sometimes God would totally wipe out a city. Not just Sodom, not just Gomorrah, but other cities that have just been completely destroyed in history. And when they have researched them, they have found but great marks of immorality in those places and lasciviousness and wickedness. And so sometimes we think that God, if He's going to judge America, we think He's going to judge the whole nation. Do you realize that when He judged Solomon and Gomorrah, He wasn't judging the whole nation, He was judging a city? And uh, sometimes it is a city that is filled where there are leaders who, who pass laws and who glorify sin, and who refuse to punish the evildoer. And as a result of that, women and children become prey to predators. Women, children, and boys become predators. And the Lord, sometimes He gets it up to here, and He says, you know what, the best thing to do is just snuff this city out right here. And He does it. And He doesn't even apologize for it. 
The scripture says in Leviticus 18, let me show you how wicked the Canaanites were, would you? Because this is why God gave them up 400 years later. Here's why God said, okay, I am going to send you in. He said, I'm going to send Abraham's seed into this land and I'm going to remove this other crowd. And he says, the reason I'm going to remove them is because of their immorality and their idolatry. And he says, Abraham's seed, if you do the same thing, I'm going to do it to you too. All right? Now, look at Leviticus 18. I'm going to read this real fast, and I'm going to show you. These are forms of what we call sins of fornication. Fornication is a umbrella word. that Underneath it are all kinds of sins. Most of this has to do with incest. I have found that many times uh, first cousins can be dangerous. Kin folks can be dangerous. You know why? Because you let your guard down. And you trust people. You trust people at church camps. You trust, you trust people at church. You trust people when families have activities together. I'd say as a parent, you ought to just keep your eyeballs always wide open. And just don't trust hardly anybody. You say, well, that ain't the way to live. Well, Protect your kids. At least get them up to where they're 15, 16, 17 and somebody hadn't messed with them. At least do that for them. Okay? And then then maybe they can make their own choices after that. You say, well, that's too young for them to make choices. you got to remember now in the biblical days, man, I mean, they some of, these, some of these kids were getting married when they were 14, 15 years old. You know, some of this is just American culture stuff that we think about sometimes. All right? So the Scripture says... Look at this, verse 1, all right? The Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto the children of Israel, say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein you dwell, shall you not do. After the doings of the land of what? Canaan. Whether I bring you, shall you not do, neither shall you walk in their ordinances. Now that's a good statement right there, ordinances. Okay, that means that they were okay with what's going on. And they were not punishing people for these acts. It's like, what I've understood this past week that some cities in California have passed some laws to lessen the punishment for pedophiles. I think they ought to increase, not decrease. So if the Lord drops that city off in the ocean in our lifetime, you say, oh my, you know, it was just the, is it the Andrean fault that they're always talking about out there? I'm going to say it was God that did it. I'm going to be honest with you. Now, but the Lord's very long-suffering because sometimes you think God would have already done this 50 years ago, but God is very long-suffering. And he even told Abram when Lot got down in Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, if you can find 10 in that city, he said, I'll spare it. Hmm? All right, but look at this. Verse 4. You're going to be uncomfortable with some of this, but it's okay to be uncomfortable as long as you learn something. Verse 4 says, You shall do my judgments and keep my ordinances. To walk therein, I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes, my judgments, which, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. And that term, uncover their nakedness, usually has to do with having some kind of sexual activity with that individual. It wasn't just pornography or looking at somebody unclothed, but it usually had to do with some kind of activity. All right, verse 7. 
The nakedness of thy father or the nakedness of thy mother shalt thou not uncover. She is thy mother. Thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. I mean, this is gross stuff I'm reading here. Have nothing to do in that realm with your blood mother. Verse 8, your stepmother, leave her alone. Verse 9, your blood sister, leave her alone. Verse 10, your grandchildren, that blows my mind. Leave your grandchildren alone. Verse 11, your stepsister, leave her alone. Verse 12, your aunt on one side of the family. Verse 13, your aunt on the other side of the family. Verse 14, your uncle and aunts, leave them alone. Look in verse 15, thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy daughter-in-law. She is thy son's wife. Thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. Now, why is God putting all this down? He says, because that's what they were doing. That's what they were doing, and there was no law against it. And no one was being punished for it. Verse 16, Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy brother's wife. It is thy brother's nakedness. That's your sister-in-law. Look at verse 17, Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter. Neither shalt thou take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness, for they are near kinswoman. It is wickedness. Neither shalt thou take a wife to her sister to vex her, to uncover her nakedness because the other, beside the other in her lifetime. Also thou shalt not approach unto a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is put apart from her uncleanness. Now there were two times a woman was considered to be unclean when she was in her menstrual cycle and when she had just given childbirth. And the Lord said, leave them alone. Leave them alone. Verse 20. Moreover thou shalt not like carnally with thy neighbor's wife, well, to defile thyself. What would we call that today? Adultery. Thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech. Now, I am convinced this was their abortion clinic in their day. They did not want all those babies that their fornicating was producing. So they found a way religiously and to appease their conscience to get rid of those little ones. It was horrible. Horrible. And they were putting them in the fire. There's no way we could show this on video tonight without making you sick and cringe. He said, Thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech, neither shalt thou profane the name of the Lord thy God. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. There it is. All you have to do is read that today. It's considered hate speech. He said, Don't do it. The gay lifestyle is an abomination to God. Do you understand that? He said, well, I have certain urges, and so I was born that way. Is that what you would also tell the man who has a problem drinking alcohol? Well, I was born that way. I have certain urges, so I can't help being an alcoholic. Oh, you know what? I have an urge to steal your car. I would rather your car than mine. I just really long for it. I think about it at night. So I think I'll just take your truck because I was born that way. Do you understand the foolishness of saying something like that? Sin is sin. It just shows up in different ways. Sin is the root. You understand? The, the sin is the root. It shows up in different fruit. All right, verse 23. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. And I'm telling you, again, everything seems to start on California. Out that way. Now where folks are actually wanting to legally marry their dogs. Marry their Horses, their animals. You say, that's ridiculous. 
It's nothing new under the sun. Because when you get perverted, you lose your sense of morality. He says, Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down there. It is confusion. That's bestiality. Defile not you yourselves in any of these things, for in all these things the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you, and the land is defiled. Therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own, neither any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were done before you, and the land is defiled. And what he is saying is, is that if somebody joins up with your nation, they are not allowed to bring their culture into your culture and change your culture. And if you're going to come to America, become an American. Amen. If you are going to come, hey, you left there because you didn't like it. You came here, so don't try to change and make it like here, like it was where you left. You gourd head. The Bible says here in verse number 28, he says that the land, he said the land will spew. He said, if you do these things, Verse 28, that the land spew not you out also when you defile it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. You know, there is so much things that are said about history that you have to be very careful who you read after about history. Like the red men, for example. The red men for, for years and years and years lived in teepees. Okay, and no, they were not peaceful with their other nations. They were always after each other's head and, 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 and the totem poles were some of the most ungodly images of their gods. And so at some point you would think that God vomit them out of their land. You have, to, you have to ask yourself that. You have to. And the Lord will take one nation to punish another nation. He will do that. And so I'm just telling you that, that let's go back to the book of Genesis. What's this got to do with Abram? Well, I'm telling you, God said to Abram, I want you to go into this land, but I don't want you to be like the folks that are in the land. And when the Lord saved you, He called you out of this world, and He's going to ask you to walk through this world, but He doesn't want you to be a part of this world. He wants, listen, He's not asking you to be isolated, but He is asking you to be insulated. That you might be a light in a dark place. And God wanted Abram to be a light. And he wanted Jacob to be a light. And Isaac and Jacob. He wanted Israel to be a light to an ungodly world. That's what he wanted. So when you get to Genesis 12, he's asking him to go into a very ungodly place. And uh, I, I want to close with this thought here because I don't have time to develop all this tonight. But I'm just show you his development. He's in a, he's in a tough place. And uh, he is going, but he's trusting the Lord, and God's taking care of him, and God's blessing him. He's wealthy, and he's going to get wealthier because he's walking in the in the the um, in the will of God. That doesn't mean that you'll always be wealthy when you walk in the will of God. But here was a situation where that he was establishing a nation, and so God was blessing him financially, not just for him, but for his seed and those after him, because it would become a nation. Okay, so if the Lord were to just uh, pour it on me, I don't think He'd just want me and Cindy to enjoy it. There'd be a reason why He did that. 
maybe to pass it on. But I want you to look here quickly. Let's think about this thought here about the development of his faith. Because the Lord, how did he, how did he, by the way, make it in those lands for a while while God's developing his faith? You want to develop your faith? You follow this man. What what it says here, the faith of Abraham. Look what it says in verse number 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham. And by the way, that means that when you take your step of faith and you obey him and you follow him and you do his will, somewhere down the road, the Lord's going to show up in your life again. And he's going to confirm himself to you again in a real way. All right? And, but look at this. It says in verse number 7 that, that Abram built himself an altar. Twice it mentions that the Lord appeared to him, talking about the same time, moment, that the Lord appeared to him. So he wants to get that across to us. But he built him an altar. And down in verse number 8, Brother Gary, it says he built that altar and he called on the name of the Lord. I'm going to tell you what you need. You need an altar at your house. I, we call you to this altar to pray and call upon God to get things right with God or to ask God to relieve you of your burdens. But you need to have one at home. You need to have an altar at home somewhere where you and God get along. Now, you don't offer up sacrifices like Abram did. You offer up the sacrifices of praise. You offer up the sacrifices of thanksgiving. You offer up the sacrifice of faith to God, but you need to have an altar at home. It might be your, 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 your chair in your bedroom or somewhere in a closet or out in your office or I don't know, but you need to have a place where you meet with God on a regular basis. Now, I like to talk to God when I'm walking with, just taking a walk, but I also have a place where I kneel. You understand? I like to talk to Him when I'm driving down the road. I like to talk to him when I'm walking down the road. But I need a place where I can kneel and talk to him. There's something about kneeling that helps the heart and the mind. So you want to be able to handle the world that's around you, you build you an altar at home and stay close to it and call on God to help you. And listen, you're calling on God. You remember that. You're calling on God who can do all things. You're calling on him, the name of the Lord. All right? And just... To give you a thought, because it'll be a couple of weeks before we pick this back up. But I want to put this seed of thought in your mind here that the development of his faith is going to require a testing. And the scripture says here in verse number 10, the only way that you're going to exercise your faith is for it to be stretched. And the Lord always stretches our faith. Verse 10. And there was a famine in the land. As far as I know, Brother Kenneth, this is the first time the word famine shows up in the Bible. Back in the days of Noah, uh, back in the days of, uh, of Adam and Eve in those times, I, as far as I know, they didn't experience anything like that. But now on the other side of the flood, the earth has altered itself. Things are different. Men are not living as long as they were. Harder to make a living. And now you find that there's something called a famine. You and I do not understand the horror of a famine. We don't know what that's like. Most of our refrigerators are packed. Most of our pantries are packed. Our freezers are packed. Many of us don't know what it's like. I don't know what it's like to to go through a famine. You don't either. I hope we don't find out in the days to come. Verse 10, 
But there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. I think he made a mistake right here. I do. There have been some other places in the Scriptures, like let's say, for example, Naomi and Elimelech. There was a famine in that land. Other people stayed. They endured it. And they made it through it. Elimelech and Naomi left the house of bread. And what you see here, I think, is is that Abram, I think, has a a lapse of faith here and and makes a bad decision. I really do. And, And listen, before you throw rocks at him, you've got to think about how difficult it was Here's the thing about a famine that, that's difficult. Is when you, when we talk, let's liken a famine for you tonight as a time of discouragement or trouble in your life. Something that you cannot fix. Something that you cannot make go away. Something you can't pray away. Now, you're not the only one going through that. But let's just say that right now you're going through a dry time, a difficult time, and you will at some point in your faith or even in your activities around the house of the Lord and with your family. What you want to be very careful about here is, I think that, I honestly think that overwhelming and lengthy circumstances that we face may cause us to forget the promises of God. We do it the first, but as this thing just wears on us and wears on us and things are not changing and we're hoping that this will change or that will change and it's not changing and then we think that we have to make a move. Because God's not making a move, we feel like we have to make a move. Even though the Lord didn't say, I want you to go down to Egypt. You feel like you have to make a move. All right? And so sometimes when you are going through these famines, what you have to learn to do is you have to learn. Faith will require at some point from you some endurance. You're going to have to learn to endure some things and endure some dry places in your life. Now, I had this thought in my mind as I was meditating upon this. It's not easy to stay put when we're not happy with our present circumstances. It is not easy to stay in our place when we can't seem to get what we feel like that the Lord should be doing or providing for us at that moment or just feel like God's not being fair maybe or maybe He's let us down. There's all kinds of carnal things that are coming to your mind. So you're going to have to be careful with this. Being this be the night that we had our teenagers up here, let me warn those of you who have teenagers and those of you who have almost teenagers who 
You ask a kid that's 12, how old are you? They never tell me they're 12. They tell me I'm almost 13. But parents having difficulty with an unhappy teenager this usually not, does not go away overnight, nor in a week, nor in a month. And if something doesn't get fixed, it can go on for several years. You know, that can wear on a mom and a dad. That can wear them out. They pray about it. They think about it. And especially if that teen is not right with God. And they become unhappy with those at church that you bring them to that are trying to help them get right with God. They're not going to receive. They have a difficulty receiving what the church is trying to give them. And so when they come home, they are unhappy. And when they're unhappy, they can make life miserable for you. And if you're not careful in that dry season, instead of you staying put and enduring that, you'll find yourself beginning to look for a place that will make your child happy. And you will move from where God has planted you to a place that is more like Egypt. And most of the time when folks get in that situation, and what I call the tails wagging the dog, and the child is actually leading the parents because they're miserable and they're unhappy, they feel like they had not been done right, is that they will have their eyes then cast upon a place where that they can have a lot more fun than a place that's just trying to teach them the Bible and the principles of the Word of God that does not appeal to the flesh. I promise you, it does not. And most of the time when you get in that situation, it is the man who does not step up to be a man because the woman is feeling for the child and sometimes the man does not want to hear those things. And so he says, okay. And so what does Abram do? He actually puts his wife in harm's way And when he goes down into Egypt, and when he comes out of Egypt, and God uh, teaches him a lesson down there, buddy, I'm telling you, you know what? We're living today with the consequences of his choice. You know why? Because you never come back from that the same completely. Because you know what he brought out of Egypt with him? Hagar. And you know who Hagar gave birth to? Ishmael. You know why we have so much trouble in the Middle East? Is because of Ishmael's 12 nations that he gave birth to, which all started right here when Abraham's famine. And what happens sometimes is, is that some of your friends and that you may know about who are unhappy with things and then they move on to a place where they, they talk about how much fun they're having and, boy, it's just totally different. We're just having a blast and... Then you realize, man, let's go down to Egypt and join them up, but it will be years later before you see the consequences of those choices because you left where God planted you during a difficult time and a dry time. 
because you just couldn't trust God to help you through it. We've all been tempted in these areas. Pastors have been tempted to leave their churches during dry and difficult times. Church members have been tempted to leave their churches during difficult and dry times. Wives have been tempted to leave their husbands during difficult times in their marriage because they would listen to this one and listen to that one. And boy, if you just leave that sorry outfit, man, you could, listen, don't listen to what the Bible says. Just, hey, just on and on it goes. And then teenagers, they hear these other teenagers talking about, man, I don't care what mom and dad said. They got, and just do what you want to do. And on and on it goes, but you don't see the consequences of their choices because it comes later at a heavy price. Man, I want to stay close to God and stay in place even when it's difficult. You know what the Lord says about a preacher? Brother Mark, he says, be instant in season and out of season. And that means sometimes there's going to be some dry times and some great times. And so I'm just encouraging you tonight. Do you see, have I, have I abused this passage of Scripture? Do you see what it says here about this? I appreciate those, those of you who endure and stay put. Thank God for you. Thank God for you. And I pray the Lord that you'll read over this, meditate on this, and may the Lord help you. You know what? When you leave the will of God and you reason things out, I think you find Him doing that which is reasonable, but not that which is spiritual. And there's a big difference. May the Lord help you tonight. Father, in Jesus' name, would you bless the teaching and preaching of your word? Would you help our dear young couples who love their children and God who want what is best for them? And I pray, Heavenly Father, you'll give them wisdom. And I pray you'd give them grace. And I pray for our young men, they would show themselves to be men, to love their wives, lead their families, reason with their children and stay in the will of God above all things. In Jesus' precious name, amen.